0: You're listening to a Cripple and Co-Production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Friends, I am so excited to be working with my friends at Clona a willie They are an amazing, amazing company. They are do-it-yourself or dildo-it-yourself molding kit company where you can create your own. Mold of a penis or mold of a vulva so you can create your own sex toy at home. That's really, really cool, and I think it's really, really accessible for a lot of folks, too. They, their materials are ethically sourced. They're really, really, really awesome. They're always there to help. I'm so excited about this company, I love that I still get to work with them. So if you want to create your own pussy or penis mole at home so you can create your own sex toy, if you go if you go to clonawilly.com and use the code darkpod20 at checkout, you can get 20% off everything site-wide. They also have a penis pump, for those of you that might be interested, which you can get at 20% off if you use the code darkpod20 right now at checkout. I really, really love this company, and I really, really love everything they're trying to do, so if you want to create your own, do-it-yourself molding kit to create your own pussy, or penis mold, please go to clonowilly.com and use code DARKPOD20 at checkout. Thanks, friends. Bye! Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am your delectably disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get today started, shall we? First things first, I want to give a shout out to one of the lovely people that keeps the show running by keeping the lights on, by joining the Patreon. If you join the Patreon at patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, you can get the show one day early, completely ad-free, and a shout-out on the air for your pledge. And you can pledge as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month, if that works, for your budget, as well as a yearly amount, if that's even better. You can pledge yearly. If you want to support the show and keep the lights on, please consider going to patreon.com. Slash disability after dark and for their pledge today. My friend, my new friend, Emma Cotti gave us $8.50 Australian cents per month. Eight Australian dollars and fifty cents per month. Thank you, thank you. So Emma Rose, you get this pun. Emma, you are the rose, Emma-Rose Cotty, you are the rose of my day for making your pledge this way. Thank you so much for your pledge, Emma-Rose Cotti. I really appreciate it. Um, and so if you want an awkward shout on the air and the show completely ad-free, and days early, if you're able to, if I'm able to get it done properly, uh, consider pledging if you're able to to our little show, because it really does help keep the lights on, and I would appreciate it. But now, let's get to today's episode. I was planning on doing a new episode today, but my body just said, you're tired, and you can't produce a new episode today, and I just wasn't feeling it, and I've been feeling kind of down recently in the last few days, honestly. Um, I don't know why, so I just was like, I need to take a break from recording, but there was there's something that I do want to release today, and what you'll hear today is important, um, and let me tell you all about it. So on January 8th, 2024, one of our past podcast guests, spoken word poet and activist and sex educator, Nathan Say, passed away at the age of 40. He lived with cerebral palsy and just he was queer and he was an activist and he did so many great things. He was a poet and he was an amazing person and I was so... Honored to get to speak with him when I did six years ago. When I found out he passed away, I was really heartbroken. And I kind of was a little bit stung because his experience mirrors mine so closely that it really kind of hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting it to. And it really kind of made me just reflect and think back about... about my experience wishing that he had better care um, wishing that he had better supports wishing that he could have could have lived a, a much longer life than he got and it just it, hurts, it hurt me because i worry about my care as somebody with cerebral palsy i worry about my care as somebody who is severely disabled i worry about all those things And so I wanted to to take today off from a new episode and replay the episode of Nathan when we recorded back in 2018 for you all to hear his brilliance, his comedy, his honesty. When he opens the episode, the very first thing he said to me was, I'm just a crippled kid trying to make it. And that really resonated with me just listening back to it now. So in tribute and in honor of my former guest nathan say here's his episode from 2018 right now on disability after dark nathan say thank you so much for coming on disability after dark i'm so happy to have you here
1: thank you andrew i'm so thrilled to be here how are you doing today
0: I'm amazing. I'm so much better now that I'm talking to you. Um, so, I know a little bit about you. When well, I gave the audience some background as to who you are, you had to wear a lot of different hats in this crazy, mixed-up world of ours. Uh, I, I don't know where that came from, that weird little little thing that I just said there that's weird. But uh, <laughs> you, wear <a> <laughs> you wear a lot of different hats in our, in our world. Um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us who you are? And your preferred pronouns and disability identifiers, please.
1: Sure, I'm just a crippled kid trying to make it in the world, Andrew. I um, mean, aren't we all? Isn't me too? We, me too, me too. Exactly. So, hello everyone. My name is Nathan Say. Um, I'm based out of uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, since 2009, I've been a spoken word artist. Um, I've also um, I also am a freelance uh, sex educator, working within the, the intellectual and developmental disability community. Um, and then I'm also a student getting my master's degree. I'm in clinical mental health counseling. And with that, I want to uh, open up a private practice that's focused around um, sexual concerns um, of varying degrees. So anyone that, that presents with a sexual concern is welcome into my practice.
0: Awesome. Um... That's a lot of things. Oh, and I'm
1: sorry. Sorry, I, and then I always forget the second parts of questions. Um, and then my disability identifiers are uh, a cerebral palsy, um, anxiety, depression, um, and then I'm also on, the somewhere on the neurodivergent scale, but I haven't been formally tested, so it's quite possible I'm on the autism spectrum somewhere. Um, and then my pronouns, I do identify um, as genderqueer, um, and so my preferred pronouns are he him and they them um, and then I, I do use them interchangeably
0: nice so i'm curious just as we're, we're talking about that as somebody who uses they them and um, like, as a disabled person what is that does, does your disability play into the reason to use that term
1: um yeah you know it was funny i first discovered gender queerness or the term genderqueer in college, um, I was taking a gender studies class, um, and it just seemed to me that um, the gen our genderedness was was centered around gender norms and being with the, be, having a disability and not being able to conform to any of the gender norms. Um, I've always just kind of felt disembodied from my gender. Um, I would like to do. I, it would be my goal at some point to do some transition work I've always felt a little bit more feminine so I'm not I haven't explored whether or not I want to do like I want to do like hormones or what I, what I want to do exactly but but you know the goal would be a little bit down the, the line to do some transitioning well wow. that, that was
0: an unexpected answer to that question but thank you so much for, yeah. share, for sharing and that's that's I, I did not expect that but I think it's great I think it's awesome um, well, we're full. Of, we're full of all sorts
1: of surprises, aren't? We?
0: It's so true. But I think you know. I think that's really cool that you have taken the time to think about. Cause I, at one point, was trying out they for myself, and it didn't fit for me. But I re- and I remember having a, having discussions with people on Facebook and saying like, you know, I'm using they because disability makes me feel much like you said, not so much disembodied from my from my gender, but but that I didn't fit quite with the ideas of the ideologies around what masculinity was supposed to be. And I didn't feel like I fit within, especially the queer sense of what masculine was. So they felt for a brief period felt kind of comfortable for me. Is that kind of where you fit within it?
1: Um, I think so. St- I think, where it really played a role for me and I think this is a really common experience especially for new you know, queers that are coming into the community, especially if if you're, um, if the only way, so for years the only way that I was involved in the gay community was like through hookup culture Um, and there was a lot of you know, hookups where I really felt like for a long time I really forgot that I, I literally had a body like I literally just felt like I love giving oral sex and love giving head, and there was me uh, too, you know a lot, just there was a what's that?
0: Me too, me too, just so just, yeah, like giving head's my favorite thing to do. What
1: up? Absolutely. So, um, but I think for a long time, um, I forgot that I was my body, and I really felt like I was just this mouth. Um, you know, I really thought that that was like my role. And I, you know, I didn't have, I didn't really have any good gay mentors coming in, and I was older. I was 23, 24 when I came into the gay community, and so I really forgot that I was like a person, and I thought that like my new identity, especially because at that time, um, my identity was also tied into like Christianity and being Christian and very God fearing. I really forgot about my whole purpose, and so I thought this new purpose was just to be this mouth that went around and sucked it.
0: Hey, there's nothing I, there's nothing wrong with that, and I mean you're we're at the perfect level for that too. So I mean, I mean exactly,
1: exactly, exactly, my friend.
0: And I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure Vegas dick is a is a whole different kind of dick than than like Midwestern or like you know like city dick. Vegas dick is a special kind of dick. I'm sure.
1: I don't know. I mean, as someone who's been now, I was thinking about this. I, uh, I've been involved. I lost my virginity when I was 14, and I'm 30, no, 13, so I'm 34 now, so I've been, I've been sucking dick for about 21 years. I don't know, I think, I think dick's dick at this point. <laughs>
0: it's true, I'm just saying, like, like, there's some, because I'm not from where you're, I'm not from Vegas, so, like, I, I've I've never lived in a big, big city like that, so, like, so, like, the idea of going to Vegas and sucking dick sounds all flashy to me, I'm sure it's not, but it sounds all... Like flashy and cool and sexy and like
1: flashy and glamour. No, it's it's just like it's probably worse than way. <laughs> it's probably way worse than what you would imagine. Actually, it's not. There's definitely there's definitely some moments of glitz and glam, and you can definitely. I tell people everyone needs to come out and experience Vegas at least once, and and whatever whatever experience they're wanting to get, you can definitely create it for yourself. So if you're wanting if you're wanting the glitz and glam, you can definitely get that. That was never like my—I never wanted that experience. I kind of moved out here by accident. I didn't mean to. I just kind of showed up, and and stayed. Um, and so did, I was. Never, where did you
0: where do you hail from originally?
1: So from Hawaii, I moved. From, excuse me, as I belched into the the phone. I apologize. So, um, I went from Hawaii uh, to San Diego, and I lived in San Diego for about a year and a half. Um, and that's when I started doing spoken word. And then I, uh, I put out an album and I toured my spoken word album. Um, my spoken, my fir- it's my first album and that's available online. If anyone is interested in that, they can go. Look
0: at you, shameless show. plugs. Look at you, shameless plugs. I know. Oh, All over the fucking my,
1: They can go listen to my first album at soundcloud.com slash mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I'll, I'll make sure that's in the. Because um, I, 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 I listened to your spoken word today. I, I did some research on you today before our talk. And I, 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 uh, I gotta say, the spoken word is really cool because there's a lot of disability intersections in there um, that are really. that we will hear in spoken word poetry a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely one of the few, ever since I've done spoken word, I've, I've definitely I've been aware that I'm only one of the few ones that, that do it, that specifically focus on disability issues. And traveling the national circuit, I haven't done much in Canada. I haven't done anything in Canada, actually. Well, but-
0: hey, you should come to, I mean, we don't, I don't know about our spoken word population here, but we, uh, as a queer cripple in Toronto, we could use you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you have you guys. Just so you're aware, in case you're interested, you have a very nice queer slam. Um, so I can definitely point you in in that direction if you ever want to go to the to the. Um, it's called Hot Damn, it's the queer slam, and they do it all. They actually do it in all provinces. So they have. I know they have a couple shows a year in in Ontario and Toronto, and then they also go via the uh, creator Charlie. Uh, they're based in Toronto and then they travel around the provinces every year doing the doing the show. Yeah, is that the, they're called provinces. I Think Did you might, get it
0: right? I think you might know a friend of mine that that is in Toronto who supports this show or know of them Duncan Armstrong
1: Yeah, I've heard of. Yeah, absolutely. I know Duncan.
0: So yeah, I know Duncan's a huge part of this show and, and like reviews my podcast like every couple of weeks and see where he's super great and I think it's really awesome. I think it's written, you know, Liv Mamon, um, I think, turned you onto this podcast totally, which is, which is so great. Um,
1: yes, Liv. I love Liv.
0: And Liv has to come on this podcast. We talked for my last podcast, and then I haven't talked to her since, and I would love to reconnect with her. But anyway, back to you, because you're the star right now. Um, um,
1: you mentioned. Oh, so we were talking about how I got out to Vegas. Yeah, so that's let me right. just finish it's, that quickly.
0: So, yeah, Um, finish that story.
1: I was was touring my album, um, and I came out to Vegas to do a couple shows, um, and I was just checking out the rent situation out here, and I realized that the rent was much cheaper out in Vegas than it was. At the time, it was much cheaper in Vegas than it was in San Diego. When I was living in San Diego, I was basically using my entire disability check to pay for my rent, which... uh, Gave me a room in a house, um, and then I was basically borrowing money for food from my parents and from what little food stamps we can get because in in America, I'm not sure if you know this, but if you're on SSDI, you don't qualify for food stamp supplements. So if I were to if I were to if I were to go to the food stamp office to get food stamps for assistance, I'd get eighteen dollars a month, just based on my social security check oh, wow. that I get. Oh wow, that's that's yeah, that's oh, that's like trash.
0: Due to the immense joys of audio and self-production, the audio died right here, so we had to start all over again, and we decided to start at our third line of questioning. So that's what you'll hear right now. We talk about more cool things, and Nathan goes on with the interview like a champ, because my audio sucks. So here you go. So, Nathan, you told me in your pre-questionnaire, you told me something that I did not expect to hear in your questionnaire. And the thing, when I asked you what it is you want to talk about on the show, you said <laughs> you want to talk about how you ran a nudist group in Hawaii for two years. So, I have so many questions about that. The first being, what? The second being, tell me all about it. The third being, was it hot? And the fourth being, how did disability interact
1: with all that? Sure, absolutely. Um, I, so, w- um, the way that I identify sexually is as a nudist, um, I'm a kinkster and I'm also uh, polyamorous, uh, but nudism is probably the most important identifier to me and probably the one that's the most sacred. But um, I got involved uh, in the nudist community. Well, I got involved in nudism Um, in college, Um, and I used it as a preventative uh, method to uh, care for chronic pain that I was experiencing because of my cerebral palsy. Um, I was having some pain that they didn't know where it came from. Um, And at first, being nude was problematic because I went to a predominantly Mormon university uh, where nudism was frowned upon, uh, even in your room. Uh, But I started exploring it uh, more when I got into uh, the queer community, um, in, in Hawaii and so uh, I found a nudist group that I was involved in and I I took it over from the person that was ran, running it they didn't want to run it anymore but um, it was primarily a it was a primarily a social nudist group uh, they'd get together they'd have a buffet and then it would become like a sex party um oh, yeah. but other people that were in the group wanted to make it like a more like a more social experience, so um, I was able to take it from like we still had the sex parties occasionally, but we also started doing like nude gatherings. So we did we had dinner and in, in, we had a nude dinner uh, in a restaurant um, that was owned by one of the the members of the queer community there, and so we were able to do that. Uh, I think we did a couple other nude activities as well. We did, like, nude bowling, and we went did skinny dipping at the beach. Um, and was it sexy? Sometimes it was. It just depends. Like, we were really open and affirming, and, I mean, generally that's something that I'm, I'm so I'm very sex positive, and I'm very, like, body affirming, um, and sometimes it was sexy uh, for myself, depending on who was there and who showed up. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, as an organizer, you want to make sure that everybody else is having a good time before you do. I mean, I'm sure that you had that experience when you had when you had your party. Yeah, um, I. Everybody
0: else around me could be sexy, and I was running around going,
1: "Hi, hi, hi! Are you okay?" Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like you, you, yeah. So that 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 was partly my experience. Um, but yeah, it was definitely. So you asked how disability intersected with it. Um, and I think that was part of the reason that I took it over, was so I could, uh, I could, you know, make it accessible to me, because a lot of the places that we were meeting at was not accessible, and so we were able to have those conversations. And it's funny, it seems like whatever community I'm in, whether it's spoken word, like, I'm very active, like, doing accessibility and talking about accessibility issues in the spoken word community for, like, the National Poetry Slam. And for like nearest events and things, so it seems like wherever I go, I always end up taking on accessibility because I'm really committed to making space for myself. When I was younger, and I think this is really common um, in our community as people with disabilities. I think we're taught to believe that we're burdens and we shouldn't bother people, um, you know, with with our needs.
0: We we are taught that, and I can tell you at 34. It's still something. Still something that I inherently believe, like that ableism is deeply set in our bones when, from the time we're young, and I don't ever think I don't ever think it goes away. I mean, we can work really hard to push it away, but I gotta say, I don't ever think it. I don't ever think that kernel of that fear ever really goes away.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I think like especially when we're advocating for ourselves in community. Like, I always feel, as we call it, in spoken word, we call it imposter syndrome. I totally feel like an imposter whenever I'm advocating for myself in terms of my access needs. Like, I feel like I'm not worthy. I feel like I'm asking for too much. I feel like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I've gotten a lot better. Um, But then part of the way that I've mitigated, you know, feeling like a burden is just taking on the leadership roles. Because I found in my experience that people just don't know the right questions to ask. And so rather than, you know, being vulnerable and asking the right questions, they just don't, they ignore disability altogether. And so by me taking on leadership positions in the community, then I'm able to, um, you know, answer those questions for myself. And so, you know, my goal is hopefully by making it accessible to myself, um, I'm making it accessible to everyone around me as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah, you and I sound like we're cut from literally the same cloth. uh, Yeah, absolutely. That's also what I do here, trying to make, trying to carve out a space for yourself, but also make it accessible for the rest of the world around you. And I mean, selfishly, I I do that in the the queer community so I can suck dick. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, half of my persona is like hypersexual because,
1: because I want to be like, I'm
0: here too. Look, I can do that. Watch.
1: Yeah, I, de- I definitely had days, I had definitely had my time when I was hypersexual. It's so funny, I keep telling people, um, I mentioned earlier that I'm polyamorous, so um, the way we could, I guess we can move in that direction now.
0: So, oh yeah, go there, go, um, go.
1: Sure, so I I uh, am polyamorous, and right now I, I have a, a primary partner uh, um, that I've been with for three years, um, and we decided to open our relationship just because based on our dynamics, that's what worked for us the best. Um, and I've always been, I've always been a proponent of open relationships just based on my past experiences that I've had in dating. Um, and and so when I met this person, I knew that whatever a person was that I was gonna be with, I wanted to have an open relationship. And um, we've been together for three years and it works perfectly. Um, and then I have, you know, playmates on the side, but it's funny, being polyamorous and having the option to have playmates doesn't necessarily equate to having more sex, um, and I've talked to a lot of people that are polyamorous, and they've said, you know, once they're in a you know, committed relationships with people, then their, their sex seems to slow down. So that's definitely been something that I've experienced, too, and, and, and how I just... Oh, go
0: ahead. And so how does, uh, how does disability play with all that?
1: Um, I, you know, it's interesting, I've been experiencing. so you follow me on Facebook, we follow each other on Facebook, we followed each other for a while, and I've been talking about chronic pain a lot, um, and so definitely I think chronic pain plays a role in my sex life in that I'm, I always feel like I'm tired, um, and I'm always, I always have some semblance of pain, um. And so, definitely, my sex life has, has slowed down tremendously in the last, you know, three, four, five years as chronic pains become more frequent. And I think, we, like I said earlier, and um, dicks are dicks, you know what I mean? Like, after a while, a dick is a dick. And and I, I got to a point earlier, you know, in my late 20s where I'd done everything that there was to do, you know, sexually.
0: Well, and so then, well, I mean so not, then, not to be oh, a, not to be a huge flirt, but you haven't done me yet. So,
1: well, exactly. Hey, there's yeah, a I mean this rotation works and now I always have an excuse to come to Toronto. Ruby, reg, that's my thing. There you go. Um but yeah, I definitely think I'm definitely at a point in my life, and I don't know if you're experiencing this, where where intimacy is more important to me than than the actual act, like having intimate experiences and and having intimate friendships. Yeah. You know, whether that includes sex or not is like way more important to me than actually having the opportunity to "quote unquote" do you? Yeah, I mean,
0: I mean, look, I I love getting done and doing just as much as the next person, but I also love. Sitting with the person and knowing that we could have sex, but instead we're just gonna not, and we're just gonna sit in the we're gonna sit in the anticipation of the sex, and not do yeah. the, and not do the thing, but we could if we wanted to. Absolutely, yeah, most definitely. So I mean, that's that's hot, that's hot for sure.
1: Thank you. Um. Uh,
0: so in one of your spoken word poems, you. Which you entitled Open Letter to My Future Caregivers Which I listened to today And I, like, I loved it immediately I was like well this is the best thing ever uh, You said you talk about uh, Your relationship to your personal care attendants Tell me a bit about those experiences And in the poem You talk a bit about how they're going to have to like Be there for you And they're going to have to like Come when, you, when they don't want to And they're going to have to do things they might not want to, and how does how does all of that interplay with your understanding of consent?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I was talking about. I'm sure you've heard of. I'm sure you've heard of CatalystCon Con. Um, I have. Con yeah.
0: Yep.
1: So I was in. Ca- I did Catalyst Con last year, 2017, and so one of the things we talked about is having a disability. Um, so, I, I was basically taken care of by other people until I was 23. For the first 18 years, it was my parents. Um, and then for the first five years in college, I had a different personal care attendants that were friends of mine. Um, and so, one of the things that's, it, that was an interesting concept to me to explore, you know, as I began to get more into th- doing sex ed and teaching, you know, sex ed, is that... As disabled people, we don't even know that we don't want to be touched because we're always touched when we don't want it. You know what I mean? That sometimes we don't even realize that we don't want to be touched. Yeah. At least that was my experience. And I definitely found yeah. that with people that I worked with. Um and so I think for me learning to take care of myself and doing the things that I needed to do, uh, was was part of part of the impetus for that was probably because I didn't want to be touched anymore. You know, at times when I didn't want to be, you know, when I didn't want to be manhandled. Especially though, la- I remember the last couple of years that I had personal care attendants, they were very manhandly of me and not very, you know, considerate. And for some, some of the people that were there, I think just depending on who your personal care attendant is and the way they lift you and the way, you know, different people's bodies are configured, you don't really have much control over that. There's not much you can do about how you're picked up. You know, sometimes if the person's bigger earlier, you can't really say, "Hey, I need you to pick me up gently." It just doesn't—it doesn't work that way. Just depending on how, you know, people's bodies are configured. And so, uh, definitely, the last couple of years, I was like, "You know what? I'm tired of being, you know, manhandled like a stack of potatoes." I kind of want to learn how to do this on my own. Um, And you know, of course, it takes a lot more time than it would if I, because I was, I, I would admit i'd be the first to admit that i still would would benefit from a personal care attendant but you know i'm not really interested in coordinating schedules and i'm not interested in you know if my attendant has to come at 10 o'clock at night you know i don't want to have to negotiate that with other things that i'm doing um and so not having a personal care attendant really freed me up to live the life that i wanted um but also um, because I didn't want to confound myself to those types of you know, scenarios that I was talking about where I didn't want to come home at 10 o'clock if I was out enjoying drinks with friends, and I knew that was the only time that my attendant could come, um, I would, I would in, insist upon them that, that, especially the last couple of years when I was doing self-hiring, um, that, they, that they really needed to have open availability, and instead of saying, I'll be here at 10 o'clock, if we could do you know sometime between nine and eleven, that would work for me. Like I could do well with like negotiating like a time frame, but instead of I think a lot of people where a lot of where we run where we run wrong in the wrong way is that we try to be accommodating to you know your personal care attendant too, and at the end of the day, it's still a job, and so you need to be able to negotiate those boundaries of what you're comfortable with,
0: yeah um and so, yeah, totally. I, you know, I think that it can go either way. I mean, it is a job, but sometimes, like, I find myself getting really, to just bring it back to attending care, sometimes with my caregivers, I find myself being really, getting really mad at them for no reason, and I think that's just a long-term effect of, like, living in quasi-institutional housing.
1: Yeah, you don't want people in your space all the time. Um, especially me. I'm actually, I know this is going to be a shock to you, but I'm actually fairly introverted. Um. What? No way. I know. Yeah. No, I'm actually fairly introverted, in and, that. Um, and so I'm not really interested. There's, I let, I actually let very few people into my personal space, um, unless, like, unless I fuck with you really, really heavy. Um you know, either intimately in a friendship way or otherwise, like I'm not, I'm not interested in letting all these people into my space. And I think, I think part of that has to do with the attendant care that I received. And so, you know, that poem was literally, that poem literally talked about, that poem literally talks about experiences that I had the last two years of my attendant care, where, you know, sometimes I think, Especially if you have like if you have and I'm sure you've gotten this too like attendants that are like religious, like when they first start, like they only want you they only want to be your attendant if your house is clean, you know if you say your prayers, if you have the crucifix on your wall, like that type of thing like it they want to be
0: it never got that intense for me, but it did get to like so you talk about Jesus right and I'm like, no, I suck Dick." <laughs>
1: Oh, I love your boundaries. that you have a very implicit way of setting your boundaries. I, okay. I, I my boundaries are this is my house. You're in my house, deal with no. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, maybe so maybe like those situations that I were talking about was maybe a little bit metaphoric, but I still think that especially some, you know, attendants that are religious they want to feel comfortable away, you know. If they can't look at this as even though they're still doing it as a job they have to feel like they're comfortable in it too and to a certain extent I can understand that a little bit but mostly not um, like you said like this is my house and you're gonna deal with it um, and so the last two years that, that was really the pushback for me um, and it became really difficult for me and it became really difficult for, for me to find people that were willing to accept that and so that's really was the impetus for me learning how to take care of myself
0: Awesome. Um, I, I I guess then that you're a little bit less disabled than I am because I need like full on care. So you I guess don't
1: need that. Um. I mean, I would I would benefit. I definitely feel like I would benefit more from having you know attendant care, probably more often than I do. I would probably benefit having a little bit more care than having somebody come in with more uh, once a week uh because my partner right now primarily and i right now primarily my partner and i are in a long distance relationship um, he works um you know in a town far away from here so i see him maybe once a month for a couple days um and so definitely when we were when we were together and he was here more often, he was able to shoulder some of that, and he was glad to do that. But now that he's far away, I can definitely see how I would benefit from that. But yeah, um, I mean, I have a, so I have a tilt, I have a tilt and wheelchair, and that takes away the concerns of having pressure sores. When I was younger in college, I was getting, I had three or four pressure sores, and so it became a, it became a concern. Um, That I I would need long-term care for that or more intensive care for that But definitely the total requirement has given me a level of independence, right? I don't have to worry about that Yeah, but like I said, it takes it takes an extreme amount of time for me to do anything It takes at least you know if I were to do laundry uh, If I were to do laundry on my own, it would take a good two days for me to do it from start to finish Um, bathing is It takes part of a day either most of the morning or most of the evening for me to do it and do it well Make sure that I'm clean, so it's definitely, it's definitely personal care, my own personal care, and making sure my needs are met. It's definitely something that I do, that I take a large chunk of time doing.
0: Obviously, but I mean, there is something kind of, kind of freeing about doing it by
1: yourself. Yeah, it is. It's uh, you know, I ju- it, it's it's definitely a juxtaposition, a juxta and and having this conversation reminds me of all the reasons why I don't want to have a personal care attendant, but definitely when I'm in the thick of it. And I'm like transferring because for me transferring is the most exhausting whether it's to the toilet or to You know the, the shower chair to do a showering It's definitely one of those things where it's like, you know I could definitely use an attendant to come in maybe one or two days a week to help me with this
0: Yeah, yeah, totally but also you want to have the freedom to be like oh if I want that Porn on in the background. That's not gonna have on thanks so much like, Yeah, absolutely if I want to jerk off while I shower, like you have the autonomy to decide that, whereas I don't so there's pro- yeah. there's pros and cons to like both things for sure um, That's true. um and so tell me more about your relationship with consent and disability sure um
1: you know it's it's funny i I think that. I'm. It's, hookups are weird, right? Like, I've been thinking about this a lot. Especially with, and I'd be interested to hear how you negotiate hookups, especially with needing the attendant care that you get. I think that's where, where consent becomes the most murky to me, is, you know, if I'm in, if I want to be comfortable and I want to get onto my bed, you know, what's going to happen if this person decides that he's going to rob me? Because I've been robbed during hookups i've been i had somebody try to hit me you know physically abuse me during hookups and so i think that for me that's when consent becomes the most murky and i think also it's part of the reason why i'm a lot more careful in my hookups than i was when i was younger because of those experiences i'm a lot more wary of of, uh, having somebody you know come to my home and also i'm wary of going to other people's homes because i don't know what's going to happen when i go there
0: yeah and i would i would say i'm the same way when i was younger the idea of going to a guy's house to fuck was romanticized to like no end and now I'm like ah you know what come over here but also before you get here let me like vet you really well and make sure you're not not a creeper
1: yeah let me see your picture especially it's so funny to me because I think and I'm not sure why this is but now with Grindr and all the other hookup apps like there's less people showing pictures than there Well, I mean what is the deal with that if I'm gonna suck your dick I wanna see your face the end yeah, exactly. I don't even care. I don't even care if 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 sorry, I have the CP stutter, but I don't even care if if I if I if if I see your dick at this point. I just want to see your face, and I want to make sure that you look like your picture too. So if you show up at my door and I open it and you don't look like your picture or you're ten years older or fifteen years older or you look like you're on drugs and you didn't tell me that before, then definitely I'm going to turn you away.
0: Yeah, and it's not so much that I'm judging you. It's literally for my safety.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like, I, this makes yeah. me think back of all the shady things that I did when I was in college. Like, oh, wow, I shouldn't have
1: laughed, but I definitely did. Oh, yeah, glory holes in the handicap stall. Did it? Yep, did it? Yeah, yep. absolutely.
0: Did it? For sure, did it? Had sex with the. Uh, had sex with the dude, uh, and I told the story before. But I had sex with the guy in the bathroom stall, and he left me there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I've, it's so funny. Back then, back then, talking about consent. Like I said, I'm a lot more. I'm a lot more. You know, especially talking about my intimate relationships with people, like, I'm definitely not down to talk about that without their consent. And I think that stems from when I was younger, like, not having a filter. And I remember when I was first having sex with people, especially when I was, like, when I was out in the community, you know, alone, and I didn't have the confines of Mormon school. Anytime I would have sex, I would run and tell people afterwards that I just had sex with so-and-so. Like, it was so exciting to me. And, like, the notion of being discreet didn't really exist. So, like, I was living in college, and I'd go to, like, glory hole hookups, uh, or, you know, glory hole spots. And I'd see people, and I'd be like, hey, you're the guy I hooked up with last week. Like, I literally had no help <laughs> <filter. laughs> You know, and, and you know, people would run away. Like, people would run out of the bathroom as soon as they saw me. Like, it was very, it was very unromanticized. But definitely, having those experiences... And being rejected sexually because of that I me to to be a lot more discreet about um, you know relationships and the people that I bring into my life yeah you know sexual partners and romantic partners
0: totally I mean you mentioned something on Facebook the other day yesterday actually I think you posted something on your Facebook about how you saw somebody who had rejected you online and how you felt kind of weird about it can you you, do you feel comfortable sharing that yeah
1: sure no I can definitely talk about that so this is this is the problem that I have in navigating online dating is that you know in my dating profiles I put that you know I'm I'm poly I'm a nudist I'm a kinkster right so like if you want to reject me for any of those things Totally get it. Like I'm, and I, literally, I'm totally fine. Like If you say, hey, I'm not into open relationships, Like I'm not interested in fucking you because I know that you're with someone or you potentially have someone, but I don't even put that I'm in a relationship. I that I'm polyamorous. Um, I can totally get down with that. But, it, you know, ableism, it becomes insulting when you intentionally pick apart, hey, you're really cute, but your disability makes me uncomfortable. Again, it's instead of asking those questions that people are really uncomfortable to ask they'll so just avoid the situation altogether. And so, you know, in my mind, I have uh, this diatribe that I have where if somebody rejects me because of my disability, I'm going to talk to them about ableism and intersectionality and, you know, social justice and all those things, you know, why it's important as minorities that we fuck, right? Because And I think it is, and I think, like, sexuality is, like, a very politicizing thing for me.
0: See, but you know what I think about, when when you talk about minorities, it just got me thinking,
1: you know what I think about disabled people fucking?
0: Is that we need to fuck more of each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally down, I'm totally down for that as well. Um, And even creating those experiences, and then those, and then that even, but that creates, you know, and it's funny, we can, we can definitely move towards talking about that, because... Especially in the intellectual disability community and the developmental disability community where I teach and work at and teach, you know, consent and success, you know, where do we even have room for those conversations? How can we even find each other like that? You know, if you're, if you're semi-institutionalized, how are you able to create those spaces for yourself where you can find other people with disabilities? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, so that's definitely... That's definitely, you know, definitely something that I want to touch on as well. But inevitably what happens, you know, we get hurt we're not able to have this conversation. And inevitably what happens, like, when I post about it, because I'll post about my online dating experiences alive.
0: if you haven't noticed. Um, I did notice, I did, I did, I did notice, I did.
1: So, yeah, so people will always go, oh, he just wasn't good enough for you. Oh, just move on, you'll find someone out there, you'll find someone for you, like you're still so perfect blah 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 at the top and to me like that's not the point because for me when we're not if you know as social because like, i'm very active in social justice communities and i'll be the first to, to you know call out ableism or racism or homophobia like in those spaces but like when it and it, you know theoretically it should extend to online dating but i think what happens is when we have those conversations where it decenters the person you know, that's being ableist, that um, it allows us to perpetuate those shitty, you know, stereotypes that, that we, you know, dislike when they happen to us. You know, the guy on Grindr that we're not attracted to that's constantly stalking us um, and we ignore him instead of just telling him, hey, I'm not interested. You know, it allows us to perpetuate those types of things if we're not willing to call out our own our own ableism, our own otherness. You know what I mean? So I think that, that that's for me when I post those experiences, I'm not looking for, you know, I'm not looking for validation of myself, but I'm looking for people to look at themselves and be like, hey, this is a shitty thing that I could potentially do. I need to work on that and, and, and check myself
0: on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it troubling when, when when I post similar stuff and people will post back like, oh, you're the greatest to worry and find somebody, oh, you know, you're so cute though. And it's like, well, if you really thought that, wouldn't you be fucking me? Yeah. Like, if you really truly thought that, wouldn't we be making out? If you really truly thought that, wouldn't we, like, why am I, why, why do I have to go and grind looking for a dirty
1: grinder hookup when I could be with, like, somebody who... Yeah, when I could be with people that love me and, and trust me and want to be, you know, want to be with me for me. Yeah. And, so, and, like, social media
0: allows for us to say all the stuff that isn't necessarily the truth. Right. And I think when, like, to say, when, able- when our able-bodied friends see that we were hurt their first instinct is to run our defense because they love us and that's all nice but really what you're saying is don't run to my defense just let me let me put it out there
1: yeah absolutely um yeah and like I said it's working in so primarily I've been working I've been teaching sex ed intellectual and disability and the developmental
0: disability tell me more about, me more about that I'm really curious because we don't talk about yeah, that We don't talk enough about intellectual disabilities in terms of, like, sexual education. We barely talk about disability in sex ed, but in terms of intellectual disabilities, there's a lot of discussions of consent right now and and sexual abuse right now. So how, as a teacher in in that field, how do you navigate consent with that population?
1: So first of all, I have to say that ninety to ninety five percent of the work that I do in those in that community is is based around communication and consent and negotiation. And five percent is talking about the actual acts. Of, you know sex. sex and like the actual <laughs> nuts and of, of having sex and I think that's interesting um, and so first of all, I want to um, If you're listening to if you have agencies that listen to your podcast, you know
0: I'm like, not sure but I can push it out to the agencies
1: Yeah, I can definitely I'll definitely I'll definitely push it out to people as well in, in the communities that I work with Yeah, yeah for sure yeah so first of all if you're listening to this and you're part of the developmental disability community as like a worker or an executive director and you um actively work to create sexual experiences for people that that live with you or that you take care of congratulations and thank you for doing that um and like i said secondly most of the work that i do is with agency staff and individuals that live in the different programs that i work in talking about consent and negotiation and talking about you know what's safe and what's not safe with your body and that's a good conversation to have um, but one of the things that I've noticed is that you know when I go away cause I'll, I'll maybe give I don't work with anyone locally I work with people part, far away from me primarily on the East Coast so at most I'll maybe get to them one or two times a year and those conversations um, are not followed up on once I leave um, so you know, a lot of, uh, you know, just the nature of intellectual disability requires us to relearn those things. Um, so, we're really not, when I come, in my experience, I'm not really adding new information to what we've already talked about. We're basically going over those, we're going over that and relearning the things that I taught them the last time I was there. Um, and those are, you know, consent having the ability to consent and knowing the difference between safe and not safe is, is an excellent skill to have um and it's a skill you know that some people without disabilities don't have you know they don't have the filter for that but you know how do we move beyond those conversations is i think it's the next step um and so one of the things that's interesting to me i i like to tell this story when i'm with groups is that you know there were two people and an agency that lived in a, you know, in a residential agency together, and they wanted to date, and they had different social workers. So before that could even, like, be a conversation, like, they had to talk to the agency staff. The agency staff had to talk to the social workers. The social workers had to have a meeting with their guardians. And it's like, at what point is it ever going to be okay for us to move away from, you know, four levels of safety and just put... You know, adults, regardless of the fact that they have a a labeled intellectual disability, when can we move away from, you know, letting them, you know, be Why are they always going to be seen
0: as somebody who's a risk?
1: Yeah. Why are they a risk, and why can't we allow them to fail? Why can't we allow them to live together, and maybe the relationship doesn't work out for whatever reason? Like, why? Why is that? Why is that now like a negative outcome if that happens?
0: Yeah. 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 And so, do you experience when you talk to these communities and these people in these communities? And co- because I don't, I don't live with an intellectual disability, I don't want to pretend like I know. Um, yeah. But do you do you talk to these clients, and do they tell you? Do they ha- do they have any like? What are their biggest concerns?
1: I think you know a lot of them have basic notions of love. in in relationships and what that looks like, but if the only relationships, if the only close relationships that you've had um, with people are with caregivers and family members, then you don't really know what it's like to be in a relationship. So it's really talking about and trying to come up with words that people will understand, like what the difference is between a relationship with a potential romantic partner is and a relationship with your family member or a relationship with your caregiver and how that's different. Um, so a lot of it and it's it's been for me the fun of it is being really creative and figuring out what that looks like and how to teach that in a way that that makes sense to people because especially in the you know working with that community you could have five different people in a room you know you're teaching a class to a small group of people and you have five different people in a room and, a room and they need to be taught this concept five different ways um, yeah. So it's challenging and you know wonderful all at the same time. I do think it's really powerful that you. We don't talk
0: enough about disability and sex ed period. But I do really think it's really powerful yeah. that you are a disabled, polyamorous queer person of color who is who is who is giving those like, giving those presentations. So that that does say a lot, and I think. We need more people who are disabled given those being in positions of, not power, but positions of community to present that information to community.
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely a proponent of that. um, That that people with disabilities need to teach other people with disabilities and and that they need to be in community with, with each other. Whether that's, you know, in an online community on Facebook, and you know, we've talked about how those can be problematic. Um, to, or, you know, living together just in an intentional community.
0: Completely. And I, I, I just wanted to say I, I really value that you do the work you do because all I knew about you was that you listened to my podcast and then when I did my research today I was like, wow, he's, there's so many things that I want to like talk about so I'm glad we could touch on all that and I just think knowing that there are other people that are doing all this stuff in the community is really, really
1: valuable. So. Yeah, thank you. And I, I thought about it. And, you know, this is the first time that I'll ever be on a pod or any sort of interview talking about my love of oral sex, which I, you know, I'm completely fine about. Do you um, want to talk more about your love of oral sex? We could do that. No, not really. I, I think I've just, dis- I, I think we've explored that pretty. Um, but, you know, I think, too, I, I, I need to give myself more credit. For the work that I do, and I think living in singularity, oftentimes we're the only people with disabilities doing the work in our communities that we're doing. And so, living in, in singularity, uh, we tend to run the risk of forgetting the um, the important work that we do and the reason that we do it. Um, and so I want to thank you for affirming the work that I'm doing because I've really been out here for a number of years doing a work, doing the work, and because of, you know, different things confidentiality religious concerns family is not something that i can talk about in a really open way in the ways that i like to so thank you for affirming that and for giving me the space to talk about those
0: things anytime and if you I appreciate it if you know anybody in vegas who needs us to do a joint workshop i'd love to come out there and uh well, you know, go on the script and Yeah,
1: absolutely. I like I said, I don't know. I haven't I actually haven't done I've been here for six years and I haven't done um, you know, a sex presentation out in Vegas. But we can definitely, but even, you know, even if we bring you out to do places, to do work in places that I've been before, places that I do work on a regular basis, we can definitely facilitate that.
0: Because I feel like there just needs to be more of us doing this work, and I think it's so valuable, and I, I, I love that you're doing it from a different lens than I am, and also from the same lens. It's, so, it's just really cool. Um, yeah. So, but I want to switch gears. And I
1: think also, I, let me just say really quickly: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's, I think, as a, as, People with disabilities we do a lot of free labor. <laughs> At least that's how it's been in my experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. But I, but, I, but I think if we if we want to politicize the disabled body, it's really important that we realize that the work that we do, like our own personal work that we do, is still work. And it's, still valuable, and it's still valuable and it's still important. You know what I mean? That's why right. everybody us. should pay
0: to listen to this podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, I don't know. Do you have a Patreon? I do. We do. The, you, I do, yeah, we do So yeah so the, I mean, audience, when you hear me say One dollar, I'm
1: politicizing
0: My body, bitches, so that's what I'm doing Yeah yeah
1: You're politicizing your body, and like, come on Like, not even a dollar, but like, a cup of coffee Like, you can't donate a cup of coffee to the podcast Like, coffee See? is like See, the audience, my guest, is doing, the my guest like, is doing My
0: guest is doing all of the work For me, I don't even have to do I yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, that's awesome Thank you for the shameless plug there, Nathan. Thank you so much. Um, but before we're done, I have one more question, one more line of questions for you. In yes. the, in your questionnaire, you asked me about, you said you want to talk about kink dungeons, which I was curious about because I'm a kinkster. I'm, I would say that I'm kinks, kinky too, but I've never been to a kink dungeon for the same reason that you Probably have not been to many of
1: them, that they're not very accessible. King dungeons are not accessible, God damn it, and that makes me so angry. Right? Um, <laughs> so so. <laughs> that basically answers my that question. And I remember, I think what made me want to put this in the pre-questionnaire is that at the time that we were doing it, which was two months ago, um, we so in Vegas, king dungeons it's kind of pop up wherever, like we don't have a designated place based, and I don't know. Um, in San Diego, there was a kink dungeon that was that I never went to, but it was definitely like a community space for kink. It doesn't seem like we have that here in Vegas. It seems like kink dungeons will just pop up and someone will organize a play party. And this was all on Craigslist, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure that we're we're migrating to that life more now. Yeah, with Foster
0: and Sestra happening, yeah, I'm sure that, uh, Yeah, that the, the Craigslist is exactly. yeah, that's not happening anymore.
1: And so, I I wanted to ask you about that. Did the Craigslist in Canada, did they take down the online personals as well?
0: They didn't. They're still up and running.
1: That's amazing!
0: I hope you take advantage of that. Well, I mean, I mean, if people weren't such ableist douchebags, I would. But because of ableism, I probably won't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand that. So, so in, at the point of my pre-questionnaire, just getting back to the, keeping keeping on our line of questioning and not going in tangents. But, um, but tangents are so fun,
0: though. Tangents are so
1: fun. I know they are. Um, but also, my voice is getting tired. I've been, at this point. We've been <coughs> we've been talking for a while. But um, I had I had done I had negotiated a dungeon, and we talked about accessibility. And we talked about what that would look like and I thought about it for a really long time. Um, the organizers who were just well meaning people they weren't like necessarily in a position of authority within the larger community they had toys they wanted to put them to good use like they had a dungeon set up in their home and they wanted to put that to good use and so we talked a lot about what that looked like you know, what the scenes would look like, what the accessibility needed to look like for me to be there and participate, um, and they assured me that it would be fine. Everything from, like, the width of a bathroom door for me to be able to go into the bathroom, and the fact that there needed to be, like, no budgets to go into the entrance of, of different places, you know, for me to, for to be accessible for my wheelchair. We talked about all those things. When I got there, um, You know, despite all the conversations that we had and assurances, it still wasn't accessible and I wasn't able to participate in the way that I wanted to, Um, I became a lawyer. And while voyeurism is fine, and sometimes you know I'll go to things to to be the voyeur, like I don't have a problem doing that role. Like I, I can I can be a voyeur just as well by watching a porn, you know, a kink porn, as opposed to like watching it like in real time. If I can't participate, especially with the anticipation of being into participating, you know, I don't get anything from it if I'm just watching.
0: Right. Uh, totally, totally. And so, like, it sucks that you had to navigate, you you thought you navigated accessibility, and then you got there, and you didn't. I hate it when that happens, because it happens yeah. so often, and far too much. But, I'm curious though, if, if everything was quote-unquote equal and accessible to you, what would be what is your kink?
1: Um, I like, I like being tight like I'm like a rope guy and I like implements. so I like getting tickled and I like feather play and I like you know light bondage like I'm not into anything too intense but I definitely like being restrained um, I don't think, so my CP, I think I
0: don't think my CP spastic body can handle being tickled too much I think my CP body would lose his mind and couldn't handle it but the idea of Yeah, and
1: like I said, my CP body can't handle constraint, you know, can't handle constraint that well. But if it's negotiated well enough, I can tolerate it to a certain extent where it's enjoyable. And, you know, that's what I, you know, I like to put my body in those extreme positions. Um, and so ideally, if it was accessible, like we, I, ne- I negotiated, I thought that there would be a person there that would help lift me in and out of my chair, that would help get me in position. Um, but ne- that not necessarily was the same partner. But it was, like, an extra person, like, literally, like, an attendant that was there going. Like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Did uh, I'm curious, though, in king scenes, given disability, do you feel more dominant or submissive?
1: I definitely call myself a switch. I'm definitely a switch. Me too, though! Hey! <laughs> i definitely had experiences where I've, I've been dominant, um, and I think, you know, I've definitely been in uh, situations where... I, where I'll allow myself to be Or you know devoted if you like I'm I uh, definitely have some devotees out there that are very interested in in You know that sort of play um, But then there's definitely times where I just want other people to do all the work um, Yep, yep.
0: That's been yeah, that's my jam. That's my number one right there. Do you do all the work and I'll just hang out? Um, yeah, Yeah, totally. So look, this conversation was amazing. You're amazing. It was really awesome to talk to you. You're
1: amazing! No, no, come now, stop. No, no. I know, is this is this where we stoke each other's egos for the
0: next 15 minutes? It, pretty much.
1: But, um, okay.
0: uh, All right. how... <laughs> so, so, is there anything else you want to say? And B, if yes, then here's your chance and be where can people get a hold of you
1: I love to talk to people Uh, so soundcloud.com slash Nathan Say is my spoken word album Um, and I'm accessible on Facebook Um, and I keep my Facebook pretty private so if you do want to add me uh please just send a note letting me know where you heard from me otherwise i don't add you especially if we don't have any mutual friends i don't add people but i'm definitely willing to add people from this community because i like to hear you know i'd like to know who's listening and i'm sure you'd like to know
0: I would, like know, I would like to know I would like to know And I think But I think you had a lot of Really important things to say here So I'm sure People will be listening to this And, and adding you And friending you And wanting to know more about you Because <laughs> you're pretty awesome Um, uh, Nathan It was So much fun Thank you so much for taking the time and for for doing it twice because the audio fucked up again. Yay, Skype. I got to find a better way to do this. Uh, But No worries.
1: It's been my pleasure.
0: But it was such a pleasure. You're an important voice in our comedian.
1: Thank you so much you're welcome you have a good you have a good rest of your evening and have at this point you're getting ready to go to Australia so you have a blast in Australia I will and, and yeah. when the listeners are listening to this I'll probably be
0: by the time this drops I'll be home from Australia but I will have had the best time so um, but again this is all about you you're an awesome guest and I will have you back anytime Thank you
1: I look forward to it we'll talk to you soon thanks.
0: Alright, All right, friends. Well, there goes another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories with me, your host, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my social media, Andrew Gerza 6 on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, although I never use it. If you want to follow my website and find out about my speaking opportunities, my gigs, and ways to have me come to your event, Go to www.AnderGerza.com If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and you can get the show days early, completely ad-free and a shout-out on the air. So if you want to support the show, you're able to do that and please, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. It really does help shows like this about disability, which are very rare, get supported. Thank you so much for being with us, and stay comfy, cozy, and crippled. Until next time. Bye! Copyright notice. Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co-Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2024.